Hello, and welcome to the next episode of Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking, and film theory. In each programme, we're going to focus on a particular movie, and we'll review it, talk about it, and discuss some of the ideas and bigger themes that it throws up. And as always, we'll end the show with recommendations of films to watch, following up from this week. The links can be and as will be as, as tenuous or as related as we like. So, who are we? Um, as Rob said last week, we should cut down this intro business because you know who we are by now um my name's sam i'm teacher editor postcolonial thinker um, published author um he's rob movie expert photographer publisher and now visiting film studies lecturer so that's who we are apparently so yes so sam yes. this week we watched a film of your choice yes it is now as i mentioned just then a brief introduction to myself um, I'm a post-colonial lecturer, teacher and writer and pretty much everything I do is focused on the study of post-colonialism and, and a bit of an aside about that. Um, though it's a famously contested word, the majority of theorists agree and I would say as well that the post should be understood as reaction to and not necessarily a direct one. So anyway, this is all a very long-winded way of saying the reason why I chose this film is that Beast of No Nation offers a presentation of issues of child soldiery and guerrilla warfare and African politics that are intellectually very important to me. And post-colonialism is more than just, oh, weren't white people bad? I'm glad we're past that. So I thought it would be a good thing to talk about this week. Fair enough. Beast of No Nation is um, American produced but filmed um, in Africa. I'll, I'll go on to talk a bit about where it was filmed. Um, it was a war film directed by Carrie Fukunaga, best known for the first series of True Detective, I suppose, about a war torn but fictional African country. Um, and I said I mentioned where it was shot. It's shot in Ghana. And at the beginning, the characters speak Twi, which is a, a African language spoken in parts of Ghana. Um, but it is fictional, um, and it is based on wars that have happened in in the rough regions, so Sierra Leone and Libya. Um, but it also has connections with things that happen further south in Africa, in Rwanda, for example. Um, it stars Idris Elba. Um, a brief appearance uh, by the Ghanaian British actor um, who plays the mother of the protagonist, who is a young Ghanaian called Abrahamata. Um, it's a character called Agu. Um, as war approaches their village, the women folk of his family flee for the capital. Uh, most of the men are shot. No spoilers there because it happens very, very early on. Um, and Agu escapes into the bush where he's captured and conscripted as a child soldier. And here the film proper sort of begins. So, Rob, your thoughts? I think my first thought is that 
you said it in your introduction there, and I've heard it elsewhere, that the film stars Idris Elba. And I do think that's probably a little bit of marketing spin. Because I would say, genuinely, the star of this of this film is Abraham Atta. Um, the main, the main, the kid, the child who's in the army. He is the star. I understand why Idris is all over it. It sells. Everyone likes Idris. I get the the marketing spin behind that, but it's very much Abraham's film, Agu's film. He's he is the driving force. He is the main star, and it, ultimately he's the most interesting character. I think in it. Mm. And, a, and, a, and a sort of a, a a macro view. I like the film. I thought it was very well done. I thought it was well acted. I thought it was visually very stunning in places and interesting in others. I think it's one of the films, as we said before, that is a good film, but not an overly enjoyable film. Like, mm. I'm glad I've seen it. Yeah. I have no real desire to watch it again because of the emotions that it makes you feel. And, the, mm. and it is an emotionally draining film, certainly. Yeah, but yeah. I do think it's a very good film. I think Idris is very good. I'm I'm a big fan of Idris Elba's work, and I think he's very good in this. I think that, and whilst I'm sure we'll touch on this later with Sam's Reese's interests um, aligning with this film, I think that it's hard when, as as a white guy from a country that did colonize these countries in in our history. It's hard to watch it and it leaves you with a strange reaction to these films. I don't know if it's a right one or a wrong one or if they are right and wrong. But I do think that very often, and I'm sure someone will cover more of this, as a Westerner looking at African or films, A, we tend to homogenise Africa as one place. And secondly... Mm-hmm you always view it through the filter of well we went in there and screwed that up quite badly and even this yes. film which isn't about that it isn't about the hangovers of, of colonialism it still is about the hangover of colonialism there are elements of this film mm. the fact that the um, the album is just called Commandant he hasn't hasn't got a, a name there which is certainly a sort of a western military term introduced to Africa by our troops there are elements of this where you can't separate from the fact of colonialism. And there's a very telling shot in this film. Um, and I'm not going to dive too much into race in this film, I don't think. But I can think of one white face I saw in the entire film. And it was of a UN worker in a truck driving past. Uh, yes, take, going past. Taking photos. And the only thing mm. that that made me think of was big game safaris. The, the mm. white people, the white person in the film, looked more like a tourist seeing a sight than a, a sort of a, a component of this film. And I think that was done well. Mm. I, I think that it was strange. I, I didn't think about the fact that I hadn't seen any white faces until I saw one, and suddenly it was just like, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen one of those. And they did that very well, I thought. Mm. Sam, did you like it? I... I did. I will agree with your your summer a bit, actually, about it being. Um, I think I think you're right. There are certain films that you appreciate but don't necessarily want to see again. Um, I think there are different categories in there. I think this is a much better film than another film that might be good but I don't want to see again. And um, 
Girl Interrupted, for example, I thought was a good film, but one I didn't want to see again. This, I think, is better than Girl Interrupted. So I think it's it's you, you've got to be careful when you when you categorise films like mm. that. Um, yeah, I did like this. I I wondered as well with the use of Idris Elba, and I mean there there are all sorts of marketing things going on around, as you said, around the use of him as a as a protagonist, although he's not really the protagonist. Um, and I wonder, it like like you said, there's not very much um, overt colonialism in this film, but I wonder whether the use of Idris Elba is the market forces of the West coming into play in the film. Mm. And it, and it's, it's this is an example of a way that colonialism, and it's, it goes back to something I was saying in the introduction, that post-colonialism is not just white people doing bad things and then talking about it afterwards. It, it covers a lot of different things, a lot of different ideological effects. And this use of Idris Elba, this use of an undoubted star is one of them. And it's one, I, I wonder if, you get the same, for example, with, and I hope I'm not stepping on your recommendations here, but something like Hotel Rwanda um, with Don Cheadle as the recognisable face that everyone is drawn hmm. to I, head, heading a film like this. I, 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 I see what you're saying there, and I think there's, I mean, that is, I say, I say it's, it's global capitalism more than anything else, is that they, they need mm. to package this film in a certain way and sell it. And yes. Idris Elba is that tool. He he is the thing that sells it, and that isn't to say he is mm. bad because I mean we can all talk to films where they've put someone in it clearly to sell it, and it doesn't work. It isn't a good sell. He's good in this film. He is a good actor. Um, yes. Yeah. But it does very much feel like you know the, like the Western character, and ultimately he is, I suppose, the villain of the piece. If there is such a thing mm. in a film like this. Yes, I think there was something implied that he did to Agu fairly, I suppose, fairly early on in their relationship. And it fundamentally changes the way Agu views him. Um, And this is what I think painted the Commandant as a definitely bad character. Um, Because Agu throughout is, is the suffering figure. Um, and he does say at the end, "I've done bad things, and you wouldn't you wouldn't want to know me if you knew what I'd done." But essentially, I mean, I've I've got a note from quite near the end of the film, and I apologise for this because I don't normally do this. But I I used the swear word when I was writing it down, so I thought I'd read it out. I just wrote down in capital letters, "He's just a fucking kid," and it was so powerful for me. That there was a moment towards the end of the film, and I just think a lot of this film is about the treatment of Agu, mm. and the commandant is is complicit in that in treating Agu badly. Whether it's and um, there's there's implied that there's there's an improper relationship that goes on, and then he's mistreating him through that. He's also mistreating him mentally when he talks to him about wanting to be part of this this soldiering effort that they that they are taking part in mm. yeah I, 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 don't, I don't think you're wrong there I think one thing that really struck me and is the way some, some of the scenes were shot um, and I think there's the halfway through there's a, there's a battle scene and it's, t- it's told in a very kind of 
technically amazing shot. It's one long shot, tracking shot, following um, the Agu round this battle. Very, very mm. akin to the opening shot of Spectre from last week, and I or two weeks ago, whenever it was. Um, and it, you follow here, and you really feel, it makes you really feel the um, the uh, the sort of tenseness. But what they've done is, I think they've notably at various points in the film put Agu in a situation where everything is big or everything is small. Right. That they that they, yeah. they work to change the world around him. Like when he's off with his um. With your soldiers, everything's the right size. You don't, you, you don't get this feeling of him being a small character. You get the feeling that he, he, he that they because everything matches him, or it's it's trees, and he can't get a sense of, of height and, and and spatial awareness. But then occasionally, as you shots where they have this shot of him, especially in that long bit, it ends with him looking out over the city that's aflame and at war. And you have this sudden feeling of him. He's a small. He's small compared to all of this. And then right at the end, mm. there's a scene when he's walking through some trenches. And I'll come back to this later. With that, after you, that that was what I is that, is that not the one you were talking about? Because that was the shot I was thinking uh, you were no, talking about. No, there's a bit. The, 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 there's an actual bit where they raid the city. Uh, when he when he he's overcome and thinks on his mother. Is his mother? Oh that, yes, I that's remember. one long right. follow shot, like Children of Men, like Spectre, where you follow him through this battle. Um, and I that see. ends with a shot of right. him looking out of the city. The other one is one that I think you're talking about, which is right at the end when he's walking through some trenches. And these trenches are yeah, that was big torches. Yeah. And at various points in the film, they really emphasise the difference in height between him and his surroundings. And they hammer home how small he is. And that balances with other times when that's clearly hidden. You know, he's wearing clothes at the right size for him. Um, and you get used to him being a certain size and you forget this he's tiny as you say he's just a kid and they, they do some great things with that kind of styling they go, actually you know what he's small he's really small hmm yeah I another another thing again I suppose sticking with this idea of, of him being a kid which was something I wanted to talk a bit more about and actually I found a very difficult thing of a, a theme to talk about this week um I had youth and war and family and language and war again and then youth again so well we're going to talk about all of those but i think the idea of youth is a good one to stick with um one thing i i liked very much was the imagination tv at the beginning um and the way that this highlighted something joyfully childlike about Agu. um and it, it comes back when he, he sees a real TV later on and he calls it an imagination TV. Mm. Um, and th- but there, were, there were two things going here. One one was this idea of him being joyfully childlike um, and being sort of almost naive in the way that he, he views the world and views the framing of the world. Um, another one was his sort of... There's a sort of ruthlessly capitalist element in a what, nine or ten-year-old boy when he tries to sell this to people in the very beginning um, and he he is in control of that so I like the this sort of tension between at, at the beginning these two different ideas of youth one one of youth as as naive and innocent and joyfully playing a game and another idea of youth as being smart and savvy I think that there's 
as we're talking about youth, there is an element of, of kind of weird play and childlike play to the whole thing. And mm. that's obviously undercut when you realise he's been trained for war. But obviously have the opening scene you discuss where he, where he sells this um, TV with his friends and there's a great little joke when they do 3D TV and the kid comes through the through the fake screen. And then, as soon as he gets into the army, there's this whole scene, almost this weird kind of Western action movie montage of them training to be soldiers. But they're doing it with sticks rather than guns. Mm. Which is, I mean, I don't know a single person who hasn't grown up at some point running around with a stick pretending it's a gun. And so, several points in this film very much felt like they're all playing. It's just a, it's a player, and, and, and it's notable spoilers here, for guys. After bringing the spoilers, the end, the end of the film is him running off to play. The very last shot mm. is him running off to play, but in a in, in a natural and non-damaging way. And this idea of the youth mm. and the, the, the idea that, especially in in these African regions and the child soldiers, the twisting of youth into something dark, nasty and something dark, is highlighted here through this use of play. And I think that they, mm. they that they do that element quite well. And there's a few elements for moments where they really kind of twist that. Where there's, there's obviously the scene, there's a scene midway through where he sees Patrick's raping a woman, um, and you see him doing some horrible things with people. But it's all a backdrop of him having a bit of fun playing around with some boys. You know, like even the boys when they aren't sort of fighting, there's a feeling of kind of of brotherhood and fraternity in a kind of a, a childlike way. But they're all holding guns and knives. Yes, and um, well, there are a couple of moments like that where, in in sort of an interlude in fighting, the boys will get together and play a game of blind man's buff or whatever, and they're just playing around and playing tag. And then, and also, there was some something visually I was struck by was the, um, the way that the this army looks. Um, and it reminded me of it's a terrible film don't watch it but Rob's going to say otherwise but Hook it reminded me of the way that the Lost Boys are portrayed in Hook because there was a sort of a slapdash and yet also quite stylish air to them and they had pink hairdresses and they they wore wool and they they had beads around their neck and it was just it seemed like they, like you said, like they were playing at being soldiers, mm. like the Lost Boys in in around in around Hook, where you have they, there's a game that they're playing here and they're not taking it very seriously. And that was, I think that that was one of the most scary things about the film was how this this game of these that these children were playing was actually so very serious. The consequences of it were so serious. Firstly, how dare you? Hook is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, we all know uh, you're yeah. wrong. Anyway, anyway, clearly not wrong. Um, but I, I agree. I think that the, the, uh, the I do see the power. I did visually get that kind of throwback to that kind of Lost Boys ragtag collection of putting things together. Um, so I do totally get what you're saying. Mm. Whilst we do disagree about the uh, the quality of of, of Hook. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I say I think I think child youth is an interesting interesting topic in this, and it is noticeable that adults are few and far between. That this this child army outside of Idris Elba is entirely children. 
but there is a a, a, a scene halfway mm. through where they travel to the capital city to meet the leaders, the big commandant, and he mm. treats commandant like a kid. They makes him sit outside and wait. Who falls? Mm. There's very much a certain kind of infantilizing of Idris Elba's character at that point by um, by the other commandant. And I wondered at moment. There were, there were moments like that where you felt very conscious of how young the commandant was compared to this guy, or how old he was compared to the boys. There were there were several interesting moments in this film. There was that moment where he gets infantilized and he's treated badly by mm. by his his elder or his superior, and then but then you had a moment where you have him sitting on the sidelines of a football match, and you think. Like, maybe he does want to join in, but he's yes. just a bit old to do so. And th- that was really quite poignant. That that dichotomy you had there between all these these youthful, exuberant bodies and Idris Elba, who was so very definitely marked mm. out from them. I think there's a an element of that and that childlike nature to him, and even the adult reasoning he goes along with at the end. Like, the big row, big sort of model he has. It's a very kind of childlike reasoning he puts forward um, as, as as to why they should stay. And yes, yeah. He, as I say, we often spoil the territory. Now he does run off with his with his um, his army from the main army because they try to replace him, and it's like a, it feels like a very childish reaction to the to the instances. Um, yes. Yeah. It was, yeah. I was going to say something, some more about Idris Elba. I think we talked enough about him. Um, I one of the other things I wanted to wanted to talk about was the the language of the film and the way that English is used. Um, as I said, this is one of the one of the themes I was thinking about choosing and go with it in the end. But I want to mention how they all. Well, the fact that they speak in English is, yes. is weird to start with. Um, but when they do speak in English, they speak in the present continuous. And there was something quite chilling about that. Um, I know from from having taught various non-native English speakers that that tenses can be very confusing like that. But nevertheless, there was there was a conscious effort here to make to make that language sort of jarring mm. to an English ear. That use of we are having, we are doing, we are living like this. Um, and it make, makes you think very much about how this war was ongoing. Um, and it's something we haven't really talked about, although I touched on it at the beginning. Um, the idea that this war could be anywhere. And I mentioned Rwanda and Sierra Leone and could be it could be talking about Joseph mm. Joseph Coney's child army um, down DRC. So th- this could be any one of a large number of African countries, and it's certainly not. It, well, it's not Ghana, which is where it's where it was filmed. But um, I wonder whether that use of the present continuous was them saying, "Well, this is going on right now," and you, whoever you are watching this, you have to understand this. And another thing, another thing that made me think about that was when um, Agu kills for the first time. 
Um, and there is, well, it's, it's a fairly graphic scene in which Agu is handled a machete and has to kill for the first time. But the um, the camera is spattered with blood. And it was almost as if the filmmaker was saying to you, the, the watcher, yes. you are complicit in this. Like, you are covered in blood by this. It is, it is a, 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 um, a film that certainly kind of lays a lot of it at your door. You are you aren't just a, a passive observer. And the um I mentioned that shot with the of the mm. you and observer driving past. There's very much a feeling that they're like saying, That's you. You're the one just driving past looking at this world mm. and you'll drive on. So Sam, as always we're gonna end it with some uh, recommendations. On a lighter note, let's move to recommendations. Um my first one is, well, I suppose not really a recommendation at all because we've watched it quite recently on this podcast, but um, there is a there are several connections between this film and Beasts of the Southern Wild, and it's not just the <laughs> use of a similar title. Um, there's the use of um, previously untried actors, um, the composer who worked on the soundtrack for both, with the soundtrack for Beasts of the Southern World it recurs here with Beasts of, Beast of No Nation. Um, and that was, actually, I didn't know that, and I thought this music sounds familiar, and I looked it up, and he does seem to have a particular style about what he does. Um, so, yes, yeah, not really a recommendation because we have watched it recently, but I thought I'd bring that up. Um, so, my first recommendation is Apocalypse Now. Um, there are several parallels between this and Beasts of No Nation. Um, there is fairly obviously a war. Um, there's a journey, the finding a shadowy figure in Beasts of No Nation. It's um, the Supreme Commander, and in Apocalypse Now it's Kurtz. Um, but also, Apocalypse Now is based on Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, which is about a journey up the River Congo in Africa. So although Apocalypse Now is set in Vietnam, there is a link with ideas about the African other and and this film. And my... Sorry, I was going to give another one. But, well, my my last one wasn't really a film at all, so actually it doesn't really count. Um, But I thought I... Rob's mentioned how very close to my own research interest this is so it would be remiss of me not to mention something that I have looked at and um, it comes to mind when when I think back to the times that you said could this be a pop culture production Mm -hmm. in any other format Um, does this have to be a film and you talked about Mad Max definitely being a film but could this be uh, a novel or a poem or a play and or a film. Um, so something something made me think about that was um, the comic Deo Gratias, um, which is about the um, experiences of a child soldier um, in Rwanda during the Civil War in the mid-90s. Um, so I just wanted to bring that up and tack that on the end of my recommendations. I would highly recommend that also it's um written by a belgian so there's something interesting to be said there about still um 
Western views of Africa. F- fair enough. But fair I'll enough. Finish now, uh, I'm Go I'm going to recommend actually one thing we've already mentioned before in this podcast is the first series of True Detective. I think I've watched both series, and the first one is one of the best series of TVs I've seen in a long time. I think it is intelligent. I think it is well done. It is beautiful in a kind of run-down way. Mm-hmm. I think if anyone is interested in finding good TV, True Detective is up there. Season one of that, worth seeing. And that remains... Right. Um, and to to remind people, this is the yes. same director, Kerry Fukunaga. I am going... That's my mainstream pick. Uh, and my incredibly unknown pick mm-hmm. is a 2010 documentary called Adrift, People of a Lesser God. This is made by the Pulitzer Prize winning uh, reporter Dominic Mallard. And he essentially goes to Africa. He goes to, I'm trying to think what country it is on the uh, West Coast. Uh, but he tries to buy his way onto a boat, a migrant boat, that is going to sail out of Africa to Europe. He is shooting with mini cameras, he's Mm. shooting with tiny little cameras, he's actually on the boat with these people as they try. It is the riskiest of risky kinds of travel. He is meeting with people traffickers, he's meeting with local people in, in, in Africa themselves. It is heartbreaking in the worst kind of way i watched this film and yeah you when we talk about films that are brilliant but you don't want to watch it again i cannot face going back to this film i just can't handle that kind of brokenness of of the stories you hear and all the more brutal because they are true stories it didn't get a but a large review it didn't get a large um sort of distribution but if you can find it adrift People of a Lesser God is one of the most powerful and affecting films I've seen in a long time. Right. I'm just I'm actually writing that down. Some some of the time, dear listener, I listen to what Rob says and think he's gone mental. I'm never going to watch that. Um, and some of the times I think that's brilliant. I should write that down. So this is a write it down moment. I, w- I will lend you my copy. Well, thank you. Um, it's a bit it is it is without giving too much away to about to ruin the power of the film but it's an incredibly powerful film and it's got a shockingly small distribution right then if if you would like to get in touch with us then you can find both of us on twitter at prestige podcast you can find me at rob kaiju and you find me at life underscore academic so, Rob, next week, your choice. Yes. So I'm going to go quite different to where we are now. Okay. But in a similar similar sort of vein. So right. I, I, I'm going for a film that isn't overly well known, so it may be interesting for Sam and a few people who haven't seen it before. It's a 2010 film called The Myth of the American Sleepover. Directed by David Robert Mitchell. Um director of it follows um which came out more recently it's essentially an american high school film in the same way that 2001 is essentially a sci-fi action film right okay 
um, in that it is nothing like any other American high school film we've ever seen. Is it? And yeah, not that, not to give spoilers away, but is it similar to his later work? And is is it like it follows? Is it that sort of psychological horror? It's not horror. It it is a high school kill film. Right. Okay. Uh, it is not a horror film at all. It is. Yeah, I I can't really explain it. Um, I and I'm just intrigued to see what Sam will think of it and what will come out next week. All right, have a talk about it next week. Yep, great. All right, guys, we'll see you then. Bye. Bye. is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr! Arg.